Welcome into another episode of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are you? Doing well. Yourself? Oh, you know, just coming off the high that was Indy 500 weekend. And are you glad that there's no race this weekend? I, for one, I was thinking about it earlier today. I'm glad. I just feel like after we get through these these couple weeks and the emotions and all that, I, I just, I like the break. And then who knows if it'll be a long-term thing, but I like the week after the 500, no race. First time since 2011, I believe, that there's been a break in the weekend after, you know, normally I'm like very excited that there's, you know, a race the following weekend, but also this year I was looking forward to the fact that there was no race yeah. um, after because it just, it gives you a, some time to catch your breath, kind of relax. But as I get closer and closer to the weekend, <laughs> you wish there was one. Huh? I, I wish there was one. <laughs> I, I, you know, the old adage that, Oh, you know, builds momentum after the 500. You want to, have another race right away to, you know, the people that turn tuned in, maybe they'd tune it again. I, I really have a hard time buying into that philosophy. Somebody would really have to show me some, some real numbers to prove to me that a race right the week after the Indianapolis 500 is crucial for keeping uh, maybe casual fans that tune into the 500 and keeping them coming back. Because I, I just, I really don't think it's a thing. And so I welcome this week off and we'll see if it's a long-term thing on the schedule or if it's a one-year thing. Well, and with Penske at the helm, you know, you have some changes that maybe you wouldn't have expected before. And this, this could be one of them having that gap. So with that said, I think, I think maybe it's just Roger Penske needing a break, which I totally understand <laughs> yeah. after the month of May, he may be like, look, <laughs> I, I just, I can't do Detroit the week after, to, especially with it being, you know, quote unquote, his race. Um, I mean, now the, now the 500 is his race for sure, but Detroit ha- has been as well. Uh, I'm sure even Roger Penske is like, man, I'm glad I built the, in this off weekend for me. It's it's good because it gives us time to talk about the Indy 500. Right. And just fully recap the 105th running of the greatest spectacle in racing. And Elio Castroneves, a four-time winner. And we'll get to our uh, three takeaways each here in a bit. But just overall... It just it felt surreal, magical, maybe if you will. The yes. race day and congratulations, <laughs> Caleb. Hatch, Thank you. Picking the winner of the race. That's three out of the past four that I have uh, selected. Very, very impressive. And uh, the odds that were when I took them were at plus forty two hundred, and you and I both agreed that that was absurd. Mm-hmm. And uh, I won a couple hundred bucks on it, um, and, and some other people we know won some money, but. Uh, congratulations, Caleb, to you for getting it, uh, picking the the winner, four time winner now, Elio Castroneves. And uh, I mean, where to start? I I've never watched as much of a post race celebration as I did on Sunday without kind of being like, okay, let's get this over. Like it was so, it was so natural for Elio. It felt so real for what he did, and and it, it was amazing. It was. It will go down, in my opinion, as as one of the best moments in in IMS and Indianapolis 500 history. Not just the win, but how he celebrated it, celebrated it with the fans, other drivers coming up and congratulating. Just the whole thing post race was was awesome. Yeah, and you know we we stayed at the track. Our our seats are in turn four. We stayed until he came back around 
in the pace car on the kind of victory lap, if you will, that's when we left because we just, we wanted to kind of soak everything in and just be a part of it. Yeah. Right. And, and he just went up and parked and, and I mean the crowd, which we'll get to the crowd of, of 135,000, I use that in quotations, uh, was just, you know, monstrous in their roars for Elio, you know, from when he climbed the fence to, you know, running down the front stretch and, and you know, Juan Pablo Montoya running to, to catch up to him. And, and it was just, it was, it was great. Even before, you know, the normal, okay, they take a victory lap, they pull in, they put him on the lift, they get up there. You know, it was, it was 20 minutes before he even got on the lift, at least 20 minutes. So that I feel was was the greatest moment of the weekend and the greatest moment in a long time, in my opinion, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It was it was so uh, great to see the celebration, not just out of Elio, but, uh, but the team and how he celebrated with the fans, which, let's be honest, in terms of moving the needle, Elio Castroneves is the guy uh, in terms of winning that race to move the needle, and he captured number four on Sunday. Yeah, and, and getting into my... You know, first of my my three takeaways, number one, obviously, is Elio related. And I think to me, what he did coming in with a essentially a one off team because they hadn't run races yet this year um, in in a small team environment. The old guy still has it. Basically, I think is is my takeaway. You know, he was kind of put out to pasture, if you will, by Roger, Roger Penske on the IndyCar side. And while... Elio had success on the IMSA side. They were IMSA champions uh, last year. And then Elio has won both races he's competed in this year. <laughs> won the 24 hours right? at Daytona and then the Indy 500. So, I mean, what he's doing at age 46, I mean, look, we even on this podcast kind of question whether Elio could do anything. We've questioned it before with Tony Kanaan. I mean, once these guys get above 40, it's kind of hard to see outside of Scott Dixon, it's kind of hard to see these guys compete for race wins. And you had both Elio and TK starting in the top 10. You had Scott Dixon on pole. You had experienced guys, uh, just as much running with the young guns on Sunday, but is the experience that played out. Right. And you know, naturally everybody's now going to talk about Elio and is he now in line to run more races this year? at the very least, and potentially be a full-time driver next year with Meyer Shank. Um, I, I could see a definite possibility and a probability probably even that that happens, but I'm telling you now, Caleb, I don't feel like Elio Castroneves can come in and compete week in, week out, 17 races in a season. I don't see him as a championship contender. I think part of what has been... Ha- has helped him win two, go two for two this year is the fact that he's not uh, bogged down by the mundane week to week race to race kind of schedule. He's able to pick and choose and, and not of his own choosing, but he's able to prep and get ready for the biggest races that he's competing in and succeeding in those events. So I, I, sh- I think it shows that Elio Castroneves still has it to wheel around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for sure. But I'm going to tell you, I, I he hasn't been a championship factor in the last couple of years when he was with Penske full-time. And I have a hard time believing if he is a full-time driver next year with Meyer Shank, that he would be a, a week-in and week-out contender. So that's not to take anything away from the accomplishment of Elio Castroneves 
last Sunday. I just, I'm not ready to jump in the, he's got it, he still has it, bring him back full time, he can compete, because I still have a hard time feeling like that's a reality. Well, I will say, I do I expect him to be full time next season? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, do I expect him to run additional races this year besides the, the ones he was already set to run? Maybe. I mean, a lot of it depends on his SRX, you know, schedule, which starts the same weekend as Detroit. Go figure. I mean, would love to see Elio compete at Detroit, but I mean, that other series, he's also a draw for that, too. So that factors in. I will say I'm going to slightly disagree with you on the championship contender part. I, I, am I saying he's going to be a champion, you know, next season? No, I don't think that's very likely. However, in 2017, his last full-time season, he was fourth. So it's not like he was a scrub. True. Yeah. Won a race. However, your point stands that in the races he's run since then, which have only been the Indy 500 and IndyCar Grand Prix, he has one top 10, and that was the Grand Prix in 2018. Zero top 10 finishes after that. Um, Indy 500, he was 27th, 18th, 11th, uh, 21st. Uh, oh, well, those are Harvest GP races. I forgot about that. <laughs> Last year he ran um, the Harvest GP, but then obviously the win on Sunday. So I think what he did and, and the factors that played into it, a, a team that with Meyer Shank, it was Ben Hanley's car from last year in the Indy 500, which right? is wild to think about. That they it? found the speed. Um, they had two full-time crew guys. A lot of them were either contract, brought over from Meyer Shank's IMSA team. Um, his crew chief he worked with at Hogan Racing in, in 99. and Was that his rookie year, right, in cars? Yeah. Yep. So a lot of factors. And, and the one thing that made this a long shot is the fact that the crew was, while they were experienced, not a full-time IndyCar crew. And that makes it a lot tougher to win the race. You kept thinking when he was running throughout the entirety of the race until the final, you know, final stint when things cycled forward. I mean, he was running, what, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, pretty much the entire time. He got the lead here and there in the first half. But you kept waiting for that pit mistake, and it never happened. Sure. And, you know, last week... I was pointing out the drivers that were on the la- la- on the bubble in the last row shootout were a lot of those guys and gal were one-offs or even two-offs and, uh, for the month of May. And, you know, conversely, Elio Castroneves, a one-off comes and wins the Indianapolis 500. So that goes to show that anything can happen in, in the month of May for sure. While you benefit from doing multiple races for sure, you can also win the biggest race in the world if if everything if the stars align and everything happens and you know you mentioned just flawless pit stops got him in and out uh, avoided the drama on pit road where the majority of the drama of the day took place and you know you just got to be there you got to be in the top you know four or five there with you know 30 40 to go to have a shot and and Elio stayed out of trouble knew exactly what he was doing and you know I don't know what's more amazing to me, stat-wise, Caleb, is four Indianapolis 500s, or I want to say this is now 16 straight races in which Elio has completed the full 500 miles. Um, I'm not sure exactly of the number, but it's it's amazing. He bro- He continues to add to his record 
of uh, of that, and obviously winning the race gave him another 500 miles. But I'm, I'm really not sure which is more amazing because both are astounding. Well, he also set a, a, a record for most times running at the finish with 19. He broke a tie with AJ and Al Sr. So that's another record. I, I mean, there are so many records that he set. I'll just run through some of the race records real fast. Average uh, speed for the race, 190.690, which beat Tony Kanaan in 2013. Uh, time between first and most recent victory, 20 years. Previous record was Montoya, which was 15 years. First time car number 06 um, won the 500. First time a car start a uh, number starting with zero won the race. Obviously, fewest caution periods, fewest caution laps. Uh, most cars running at the finish. Most cars on the lead lap. Most laps completed for the field. Times led career Scott Dixon 58. Uh, average speed in qualifying, which we touched on last week. Youngest front row starter in Renus VK. Uh, that broke Carlos Munoz back in 2013. And then this race tied, obviously, Elio tied, Elio tied Mears, uh, Foyt, Al Sr. with four wins. That's a given. Also, Scott Dixon tied Tony Kanaan and starts leading at least one lap at 14. I think you mentioned that the other week. Yeah. Then 500 rookies of the year in the starting field, nine at tied at 1991. So a lot of records. A lot of records. It's now 15 straight races. Indy 500, LEO has run the full 500 miles, which is add to his record. And then when you look at Will Power, who did not lead a lap at the Indianapolis 500 on Sunday, uh, so his record that he holds uh, is stopped at eight for consecutive 500s led. It ends. He led Eight straight from 2013 to 2020. Of course, uh, Will Power never really sniffed the front of the field. Finished 30th on the day. Not not a good day for for Will Power. Uh, what what was your first takeaway? Well, it was shaping up to be quite the day for Scott Dixon, and then the uh, the pit bug bit him. And um, I think there's a lot of layers to this, but let's let's just throw it out there in terms of uh, of you know the pit sequence just bit him. With Stefan Wilson's spin in pit lane and brought out the yellow, both Dixon and Rossi needed to pit, and and you know all all chances of a win immediately evaporated after that. So a guy that is incredibly lucky all the time, and we always pointed out. I feel we have to make a point here that Scott Dixon was unlucky in the way the pit stops laid out on Sunday. It cost him a chance at a victory, and you know early on. He was looking like, I mean, he went in as the favorite and he was looking the part early on. I think I was surprised to see him not even lead lap one. And from there, I thought maybe we could be in for a different story today. And, you know, that struck me right away. And then he eventually got back to the front, but he wasn't, you know, checking out like I expected from the field. And then you mentioned the, the pit sequence. I mean, he was done. The fact that they gambled late and tried to extend it on fuel hoping for a yellow uh he at least put himself in position to try to do something i mean he got his lap back rossi never did and he at least improved to 17th which considering the day he had anything better than 25th would be considered a victory and let's make a point too and you mentioned it fighting back to finish 17th 
Scott Dixon and Alexander Rossi were in the exact same position at that restart after the first caution. And, of course, Rossi signaling to Dixon that they were going to go. And over the course of the rest of the race, Dixon was able to fight his way back up, of course, finish on the lead lap, like you mentioned, Caleb, 17th. While Alexander Rossi finished two laps behind, finished 29th, never was really a factor after after that pit sequence. And that goes to show you the, these are the races that win championships. Yeah, the wins are good, the podiums, but having bad luck early, fighting back to finish mid-pack, those are the races that win championships, and that's why Scott Dixon is so good at winning titles. So kudos to him, made the best of a bad situation. But yeah, after he fell a lap down, there was really no hope for him to be a factor the rest of the way. Scott Dixon, 36 points for finishing in 17th. Alexander Rossi, 10 points for 29th. There's yeah. there's the difference. And it, not like Rossi was a championship factor going into the race, but if he won, right. he would at least have a, a chance. Now, I did notice even at the start, Rossi didn't gain any positions at no. the start of the race. So maybe that's something we should have, you know, even put more into. I, I, I noticed at the time, like, ah, oh, he didn't pick up anything on lap one, which I thought was surprising. Right. And just never was a factor, like you said, after that first pit stop. You know, and I know the the commentators made it a point, you know, to mention that, oh, my, Scott, Scott Dixon, maybe I had his car set up to not race in traffic. I find that hard to believe, you know, the way this, this race was going to be ran, you weren't going to go and check out and, and lead 184 of 200 laps. You were going to have to race in traffic, whether you were in the top three or five, or you are all the way back in 27th, 28th. So I had a hard time, you know, creating a story that Scott Dixon had to, had to, you know, deal with a car that was set up to run up front and, and was, you know, in back in the field and having to fight through that. I don't see that as being realistic, but uh, he made, like I said, he made the best of a bad situation. And, uh, you know, Stefan Wilson brings out the first caution, but he wasn't the only one, Caleb, that uh, had some pit issues. Yeah, Will Power, uh, who had issues before the start of the race, getting his car fired, he's able to join the field, everything was fine, but then he spun in the pits, Simona Di Silvestro spun in the pits, they retired her car after that. Ryan hunter Ray sped through the pits. You mentioned Stefan Wilson, Scott McLaughlin also had a pit issue. Graham Rahal with a pit issue that uh, ruined his race because he was looking pretty promising to have a chance. I don't know about when, but I mean, he was running top five. He was cycling into the pits in the lead, you know, when when he was making his pit stops and they would have made it on one more stop, which is kind of crazy to think about. But both, both Rahal, in fact, all three Rahal cars I noticed we're getting better fuel mileage than pretty much everyone else. Right. But uh, the, the mishap with, with Ray Hall, I mean, it, it not only ruined his day, obviously, but Connor Daly's day. And I thought, you know, after Connor Daly led the most laps, which I think none of us would have ever predicted, strong car, Ed Carpenter racing cars were strong. But I think a lot of people have the question, well, why didn't they have him pit, you know, under yellow, but you would have gone to the rear of the field. And I get that it wasn't a track position race, but it also wasn't like incredibly easy to pass once you right. got up to the front. So, I mean, for every Simon Pagino, I mean, you had guys like, I don't know, New Garden, who never really sniffed anything. I right. Mean, and, and the only time he was in the, the lead shot was when he was off sequence and eventually yeah. would have to pit. So, 
Right. It was it was a give and take all day long, and you, you know it was. I, 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 you know, you looked at Graham Rahal and everything, the stars were aligning for him. I don't think it was a slam dunk as they made it sound like he was going to win the race if they didn't have an issue. I think he would have been in the conversation, but I don't know if he could have held off the likes of Castro Neves and Polo, um, you know, up front. I'm not sure. So there are a lot of what ifs, but uh, overall a phenomenal race. But what was your second takeaway? Gabe? So my second takeaway, how about the part-time guys? Yeah, Elio wins the race. You have Ed Carpenter, who started in the front, then had a, a pit issue as well, stalled the car, went to the back, still ends up finishing fifth. Ferrucci in sixth. Sage Karam, who suddenly was like 15th late in the race. I'm like, where did he come from? Right. And then suddenly finishes in seventh. Uh, Juan Pablo Montoya in ninth. Again, same thing. Never really saw him run better than maybe like 18th, and then he finishes in ninth. Then Tony Kanaan, who, uh, did he also have to get emergency service or he had some sort of issue. Some issue. Did you mention Ferrucci? Yeah. I mentioned mentioned Ferrucci. So Kanaan went to the back after that first yellow and then he drove his way through the field. Unlike, um, you know, his teammate, Scott Dixon, but you know, six cars who are either part-time or one-off entries beating on the full-time guys. I think that was pretty impressive. Very impressive. You know, Ed Carpenter, you know, good on him. We've been kind of rough on him over the last couple of years about not being able to wheel it the way uh, he needs to for that team when he's in the seat on the ovals. Did a great job. You know, Santino Ferrucci, great job. And an overall drama-less run for Santino Ferrucci to finish sixth. So Yeah, no, no running through the grass or anything like that. Yeah, no, nothing like that. So, um, yeah, it was uneventful for uh, for Ferrucci, and you know, great job by Sage Karam and Juan Pablo Montoya. Just stayed, you know, minded his business for the for the uh, for the race and got a top ten. So, I agree with you. Very impressive. What was your second takeaway? What was my second takeaway? Let's look. Let's talk about the the issues in pit road, and let's focus on the spins that we saw on mm-hmm. on pit road and Marshall Pruitt. Uh, racer.com has an article uh, up right now talking about what was going on with the brakes at Indianapolis and it devolves into a lot of stuff that I don't understand. <laughs> Same. I, I read it and the easiest way to explain it, I guess, from my limited, yes. very limited Likewise. understanding would be teams were essentially running the qualifying brake pad setup for the race so there's less drag but also the brakes may not be as responsive. Right. And, you know, it sounded like the way they were setting up the cars was to to keep the any type of... Obviously, you're not using brake around uh, the speedway as if you're locked in. And they made it incredibly tough to engage those brakes. You had to really pound on the brake pedal to get those to engage because they didn't want anybody, you know, bumping the 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 brake pedal or, or lightly tapping it on accident because any amount of, um, you know, brake would slow you down on the track. So a combination of things from what Caleb said, but also, you know, setup wise, um, uh, you know, that was created, but I think the, the all encompassing thing out of this, and this was a quote in, in Marshall's story from one team member said, quote, none of the problems you saw were the driver's fault. Those were created by their teams. So, well, in, Let's look at it. I mean, the teams with the issues, Penske and Penske affiliated, 
You had McLaughlin had an issue, right? Uh, Will Power spun, Simone Di Silvestro spun. And then the other team, Andretti Autosport, happened to Stefan Wilson, who crashed, then happened to Ryan Hunter Ray. That, I mean, those were all the spins, correct? I mean, the Ed Carpenter stalled in the pits, for example. Graham Rahal had a wheel nut fall off and, and crashed. Otherwise, I mean, that's it, correct? I'm yeah. not missing a, a team that had an issue. Yeah, absolutely. So it was um, it, it was a myriad of things. I mean, you know, at first we looked at Stefan Wilson doing it and say that's on him. But then as we saw more and more and more people doing it, we realized there's something going on. And um, it, uh, yeah, if you, if you want to check out that article on, on racer.com, like I said, it goes into the weeds a little bit as Marshall does, which, you know, it's, it's not a knock because plenty of people understand it, but um, it, it does kind of break down exactly what happened for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, it ruined a few drivers races, especially Hunter Ray. I, I noticed the first half of the race, he and Elio were essentially just lurking, you know, four, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, like I mentioned with Elio earlier. Uh, but they were just kind of lurking, waiting for the opportunity. And they were running together a lot of the time as well. And then Hunter Ray had his final pit stop and that went away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, you know, barely missing it. You know, I, I and then there was Ryan Hunter Ray that just <laughs> came careening through. And that was when Simona Di Silvestro retired the car because, you know, their crew member, at least one, had to jump out of the way to avoid getting hit. Uh, I never heard the whole story about that. I, I mean, I just felt like he came in way too hard and then uh, the brakes obviously were a struggle like for everybody else. But uh, it looked like Ryan Hunter Ray was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go in here, Max. (laughs) I'm going to pretend there's no speed limit or whatever. And then and then had to to hit the brakes really hard. So that's where the majority of the action was other than flying tires, of course, and and Graham Ray Hall getting bit by that. And I think we can all agree Graham would have been a top five car. He would have been in contention for the win. I'm not sure it's guaranteed, but um, you know, it was unfortunate. I didn't see enough replays, Caleb, and maybe you did, you know, was it, you know, was, was he set too early? Um, Was, um, you know, was the rear tire changer in air? I mean, break that down for us. So from rewatching it, what I saw I could tell there was a problem on the, this would have been what, the the left rear tire. I could tell the tire changer was having an issue. I mean, it was obvious watching the pit stop. Now, I never really looked specifically to see if the, he was waved to go, but you could tell there was an issue when they showed the replay, and I thought it was odd that NBC didn't even kind of mention that. They yeah. just kind of missed it. Um, but I could tell there was an issue from watching the replay of the pit stop. So that was yeah. clear. Yeah, and I, you know, we don't hear what's being said to Graham in the car. He could be potentially being told to go, go, go. And, you know, naturally, once the jack is lowered, once you're back on the ground, you feel like, you know, you can go pretty soon. So, you know, anticipation could have been the air. Overall, it was a, it was a bad situation. I don't know who to blame in particular. It's just one of those things. And then I, I think we're, you know, lucky that uh, that tired you know, didn't do to more damage. didn't get into the crowd. Obviously it hit Connor Daly's car and kind of ruined his day, but, um, you know, hitting the front wings a lot better than, than landing on top of the cockpit. The fact that Daly still finished 13th after <laughs> seeing the picture of how yeah, bad right? his that nose thing looked. Was haggard looking. <laughs> I mean, there are some, some gaps <laughs> yeah, in that. So for sure. that was 
pretty impressive to me. And, you know, it's a rare occurrence now that we see tires like that with the tethers that during crashes, they keep those tires on. There's just nothing really you can do if they're not tightened, you know? So uh, bad luck for, for Graham Rahal. And you, you kind of feel for him because you get very limited chances in your career to have an Indy 500 winning car and you need everything to go right over the course of those 200 laps. And you have to feel Graham Rahal has the experience, had the car to do it. It's just bad luck bit him. And you could see in his reaction after the fact, not that he he felt like he was going to win the race, but he knew he had a car and a setup that could win the race. And he knows you don't get a lot of shots at that opportunity. And unfortunately, it's a fluke thing that took him out. Yeah, and to have a capable car two years in a row now and come away with a third that felt like, you know, he could have maybe contended at least for second last year and then this year, who knows, but it, it was a top five caliber car, like you said. It's got to be really disappointing. And I mean, look, he hasn't won a race since 2017. So right. it's been a while and you kind of start to wonder if you still have it. I mean, I'm sure Elio, not that he doubted his abilities, but I mean, yeah. you start to wonder at that point when it's been several years. Especially when your teammate's winning 500s too. I mean, that's like yeah. an added burden that Takuma Sato is winning over there with, with five, 500 titles, two of them, and you're yet to not only win a 500, but you know going on four years without a race win. My third takeaway, and I'm not just going to say one driver, I'm going to lump the whole team. Okay. Andretti Autosport. Yeah, what, what a, a stinker. What a terrible day. Uh, Ryan hunter we talked about with the pit issue. He was looking like a top five car. Colton Herta. Until I don't that, know what happened. Me to neither. Him. Until that final stint, he was in the conversation, yeah. right? And then he just kind of disappeared, and nobody ever told us why. He was, you know, running top five, and then top eight, and then suddenly disappeared. He finished sixteenth. Now he was the highest finishing Andretti Autosport car. Uh, yikes! Uh, then you get to Marco Andretti, a forgettable nineteenth. I mean, he he moved up from where he started, but he was never a factor. James Hinchcliffe dropped and finished 21st, also never a factor. And then, obviously, Stefan Wilson with the crash. Uh, I'm not going to throw in, obviously, the Meyer Shank cars. But I get they have the technical partnership, but that is a completely different program to me. And they ran better yes. than Andretti cars. Which has honestly kind of been the case for a lot of races in sure. the past you know, year and a half. And so, you know, now, now we're looking at it, and let's take out... Um, and let's take out the Meyer Shank cars, and you're looking at points. So usually the 500, the last couple of years, you could say, oh, this is when Andretti finds their footing, right? And you're looking at the the points right now, and there is one Andretti Autosport driver in the top 14, and that's Colton Herta in seventh. Yeah, and, and he's had a couple of rough races that, I mean, if he had a, a top 10 result, I mean, he'd probably be a lot higher in the points right now. I mean, he'd probably move up a spot or two. Then this is the one that's mind-blowing. Elio Castroneves with his Indy 500 win, 14th in the series standings. I get that it's double points, but yeah. still. And he is two points ahead of Alexander Rossi, who's competed in all six races so far this season. Rossi in 15th, two points back. Ryan hunter Ray 17th. And uh, James Hinchcliffe all the way down in 24th. Again, okay. I, I get that the numbers are skewed because he just ran a double points race, but that's that's pretty bad. I mean, Elio himself is ahead of all these full-time drivers. Alexander Rossi, Ryan hunter Ray, Sebastian Bourdais, Connor Daly, Felix Rosenquist, Ed Jones, James Hinchcliffe, and Dalton Kelly. 
I don't know what to make of that. I mean, part of me is like absurd. I mean, credit to Elio, but this kind of goes back to the absurdity of double points in the Indianapolis 500. There is no reason why Elio Castroneva should be above eight full-time drivers in the point standings. That's just ridiculous. So as bad as Rossi and those seven other drivers have been, I totally get it. They, the majority of them should not be trailing Elio Castroneves in the points, but that just goes to show you the damage that can be done for a bad Indianapolis 500. And unfortunately for Rossi and a fair amount of the other Andretti Autosport drivers, that's exactly what happened last weekend. Yeah, it was just an ugly day. And even in qualifying, I don't think they had the speed that we expected them to have uh, with Herta and Hunter Ray, the only guys making the fast nine. I think we would have expected at least one more car yeah. to make it out of that group. So just, yeah, overall disappointing race day. So, so in qualifying. I mean, last year, at least they had qualifying to hang their hat on when they all faded in race day yeah. outside of Hinchcliffe. Yeah, right. You know, we keep saying Meyer Shank Racing has that uh, technical affiliation with Andretti Autosport. Maybe we should flip it and say Andretti Autosport has the technical alliance with Meyer Shank Racing because Meyer Shank seems to have their stuff together, not just last Sunday in the 500, but I think throughout the majority of the season thus far. Yeah, yeah. I think they have outperformed Andretti considering the resources. I mean, a one-car full-time team with a, a one-off for the 500 so far. Elio will run a handful more races throughout the season. But yeah, they definitely outperformed Andretti Autosport. And that's this is coming on two full seasons yeah. that we've had a lot of question marks. Yep, uh, guaranteed. Okay, my third thing. Let's mm-hmm. talk NBC broadcast. Let's talk coverage. Mm-hmm. I know you were at the race. You watched on delay. Of course, the, the, uh, the blackout was lifted. Uh, for Central Indiana. Um, I'm going to start with my gripes because that's usually how I roll. Final pit stops coming up and they go to commercial. (laughs) And that was not just the only time during the day that um, they went to commercial um, during pit stops. And like we said, that was where the majority of the action happened all day, at least the incidents. And so that was really stuck in my craw is look, these drivers have come in 30-ish laps to go. It's their final stop. All the incidents coming on pit road throughout the day. High drama. Can everybody get in and out clean? And I'm watching side by side. And and that is unacceptable. I don't know how many times this has to happen with NBC before the program director, the producer, or whoever gets it through their head that you cannot do that. I almost feel like NBC approaches pit windows as, okay, now we can take our break type thing. And I mean, that's elementary, that's racing one-on-one, especially at the biggest race of the world, your biggest race of the season. You cannot be in commercial during pivotal pit stops with 30 laps to go. That's ridiculous. I also would add, and I have a few complaints as well, but also some, some positives. Yes. Um, on the complaint side, speaking of cutting a commercial, correct me if I'm wrong. Did they not take a, a TV ad break with like, Within 15 laps There to was go. 12 to go when they went to a commercial. Uh, yeah. That's like, just, I mean, I know a lot of times in the past, I don't know if this is NBC or ABC, they say, and we'll take our final yeah. ad break and go commercial free. And usually it's for like the final 20 laps, right. which again, to me, final 20 laps, there should not be any commercials unless there's a caution. Yeah. Which, okay, maybe that is a reason why they had to sandwich so many breaks in there late. It's because there was a lack of cautions. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were behind. I get that. But at the same time, you you cannot do that. I mean, at the very least, you're taking, you're getting all of the pit stops done, at least for the leaders. 
then you're going to commercial and then you're bringing it back for the last 20 laps straight through. I mean, ideally. So I, I mean, you make up the commercials on the back end. I'm sorry. You just do because you can't do that. So, well, think about how long the, the, uh, caution was for the first caution when Stefan Wilson, I mean, which was ridiculous. That was apparently the excuse was reordering the field, which but that's I feel always like, the excuse. Yeah. That, I feel like they <laughs> use that when they're like, Oh, you know, I don't know what's taking so long, but they're like, Oh yeah, we had to reorder the field, blah, blah, blah. So I, I think maybe IndyCar needs to invest in a little bit more technology. If it's taking that long to reorder the field, because that was crazy. Yeah. I thought that was my number one complaint. Second complaint. This is a positive and negative way too much talk about fuel saving in the first like 10, 15 laps. Yeah. However, I appreciate that they approach the broadcast. Like the people watching aren't idiots and know nothing about racing. They were actually, I feel like NBC separate from ABC, NBC presents the broadcast, whether they're on NBC or NBCSN or whoever it is. uh, They do a good job of presenting the broadcast to race fans. As I would agree. To ABC would really dumb it down. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, take a drink every time ABC had to go through the difference between <laughs> red and black tires. And Football that, field you know? every second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put up that graphic. Car can every run upside down due to the downforce. Uh, th- thanks. Thanks, Mr. Goodyear. Cars in lockstep. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree. I-, I think there are sometimes we point out at NBC, we wish they would cater more to the diehards, especially on Peacock broadcasts. But I feel like, yeah, like you said, Caleb, I don't feel like, um, you know, they're dumbing it down for idiots. And I think overall NBC did a good job with the broadcast. I liked the pit box still throughout with Steve Letard and, and Jimmy Johnson was good. I felt, though, there were moments where they were asked to um, examine or decipher a situation that I'm looking at it going, neither of those have been ever been in that situation. Both of them were... And their first times at the Indianapolis 500, they were, they were being asked to ex- explain the pressure situations of this or that or the other. So that was a little bit of a stretch, but I thought they did a good job. I thought Danica Patrick did a good job with Mike Tirico. I think we didn't get enough of Tirico and Danica. I and, agree. And part of that, I think, was, again, due to the lack of cautions. Yeah, lack of cautions. It, yep. it changed the broadcast format. They kind of had to sandwich it in a couple times during green flag action, I feel, um, for sure. But I felt... Um, I felt they were great. And, and, you know, Danica even showing genuine emotion after Elio's win, she got a little choked up there. I thought that was kind of cool. I appreciate that because Danica has had, um, you know, history with these drivers and competed with them and has gotten to know them. And so I thought that was a, a little bit of dose of, of, um, really being able to show just how much it means for other drivers to see and not, not even just drivers current in the, in the series, but former drivers as well. So I thought Danica was great. I thought the broadcast overall was good. Um, just, you know, just some nitpicky things like when you're taking commercial breaks. <laughs> I also thought that I, I liked that they had the extended post race to be able to kind of follow Elio around and just kind of let that play out just the raw emotion. And yeah, they didn't get the, victory lane interview you know it wasn't all sequenced perfectly but just letting that play out and having the time in the post race for people to tune in and soak that in i thought that was really unique as well yeah absolutely so i feel like that was that was huge you know usually they're taking a break right after to then come back to victory lane but they stuck with it so i feel like if they could do it for that they could have done it early on when 
you know, they were kind of ham-fisting commercial breaks in there in the latter, you know, 50, 60 laps or so. So, um, yeah, it was it was tremendous. It was raw. It was real post-race. And, 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 it, and I think the best thing was they just let it happen. There wasn't any commentary. There wasn't any discussion. There wasn't any... And I, I think this is where the NBC producers need to be, uh, uh, you know, thanked is a lot of times, you know your reporters are being told you go get, go talk to them now, go, you know, go right away, go talk to them. Like NBC just let the moment happen and didn't kind of force, uh, force a conversation with Elio in the middle of that, you know, emotional, um, you know, really pageantry is what it was. It was, it was amazing. So I think NBC deserves credit. They weren't worried about, oh crap, we're getting close to our window. We're going to go over. They just kind of let it happen and covered it. And every second of it was worth it. Yeah, I just, like you said, they let it play out. They let the moment you know, rise above, which in TV, broadcasting for sports, you're better off just letting the moment develop and play out, you know, after a big play or something like that, sure. as opposed to trying to talk over it. I mean, with TV, the picture is kind of your, your message as opposed to obviously radio. You have to talk. You kind of have yes. to describe what's going on, describe the scene, whereas in TV, the scene is the picture and you're supposed to add commentary. And I like how they just kind of let that play out, you know, not forcing, like you said, any kind of interview. And it was just, it was kind of, it was a bizarre scene. I mean, it was just, it was unlike anything we have seen to end a race at IMS. And, right. and I think that's what made it so unique and so special to a lot of people. Yeah. You know, what was cool. And I think an overlooked type thing with the celebration itself is we've seen in the last couple of years, and I know there's multiple jugs of milk. I get it. But we see drivers take a couple drinks and then dump it all over themselves. We saw Elio take a drink, take a couple drinks, dump some of it, but then immediately handed it to Mike Chink. Like it was obvious that he had been there before. He knows how this works. And he wanted his team to share in that in the same bottle that he drank out of, that the, the, the first bottle they gave him. And um, I think that's the way it should. I'm not going to say I don't like people dumping it on themselves. I'm not going to take a side on that. But uh, not dumping it all on you, not being just the driver going through that initial jug of milk. Um, what Elio did in the heat of the moment, the heat of celebration to really not dump that much on himself, handed it to Mike, who was then able to hand it throughout the team, I thought was pretty cool. And then they have the strawberry milk. Yes. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So... Um, yeah, it was a special moment for sure. Uh, but no chocolate milk, no chocolate milk. Yeah, that's, that's not part of it. Uh, speaking of TV, uh, a lot of good things on TV ratings. I think we were all shocked with the TV numbers, uh, a 3.15 rating, but 5.58 million viewers compare that to the Daytona 500. Granted, it was rain delayed. Um, but this, uh, per Austin Carp, uh, the First time the Indy 500 outrated the Indy, uh, sorry, yes, the Indy 500 outrated the Daytona 500 for the first time since 1995. Huh, I wonder what happened then. Huh. Um, and the 21 Daytona 500, a 2.8 rating, 4.83 million viewers. It's one thing for the 500 to outrate and, and outdraw the 600. That's been kind of the norm for several years now. Yeah. Daytona I remember 500. When that was a hurdle that mm-hmm. the Indy 500 got over. But with Daytona, I mean, again, Rain delay, sure, but still a big deal because it's Memorial Day weekend. 
people have a lot of options. Granted, it was cooler for a lot of a lot of the country, not the nice summer weather you would expect, but I thought that made a difference as well in the rating and I mean just going through a lot of the kind of details on the rating uh as well. So again, we mentioned the numbers the 5.581 total audience delivery as NBC measure, measures it. That's, you know, linear, a.k.a. Nielsen boxes, and then streaming. Most watch any 500 in five years, so most since 2016. Race peaked at 7.129 million v- viewers when Elia won the race. Um, then you look at kind of some more numbers, up 51% versus last year. In August, up 2% above NBC's inaugural 500 in 2019. Um, let's see. Most watched sporting event of the weekend. That's a pretty big deal. And then also you look at the individual markets, you know, the top 10 markets, Indianapolis, the highest, that's not a surprise. 21.3 aired live. It's actually down from last year, which yeah. was a 24.9 way down from 2016, which was like a 33.6. Uh, but you look at some of the other markets a lot higher than you would expect for IndyCar. Some of these aren't surprises. Dayton was tied for second with Cincinnati, 8.1. They usually rate well. Fort Myers, Naples tied for fourth, 6.3 with Louisville, 6.3. Again, other markets that rate well. Knoxville, Tennessee, a six. Nashville, a 5.4. That's promising when you have a race coming there. Let's race twice there. (laughs) Columbus, a 5.4. Again, Graham Rahal in the draw there. Uh, Hartford, New Haven, a 5.1. And I'm thinking, huh, why would that be a factor? Well, Beth Peretta of Peretta Autosport is, I guess, from there. And then you have Greenville Spartanburg. Got a 5.0. They always rate well, for whatever reason, with IndyCar. And that's in NASCAR country. I've always found that to be weird. Yeah, and we thought, hey, maybe that would uh, bode well for Rockingham. But you looked it up, and it's... uh, (laughs) They're not very close close. to each other at all. (laughs) I mean, it's a great idea. But again, they're not, not very close on the map, which kind of is a bummer because... You know, if IndyCar were to run in NASCAR country, I mean, and when they have done so, I feel like they've had success in recent years. Well, now, I'm not talking IRL era, but true. You know, Barber. I mean, but I was going to say Barber is, you know, as stones throw from from uh, from Talladega. So I feel we've. I really don't look into NASCAR. I think it was a thing back in the day, but um, I I really feel like uh, if you're in auto racing, I think we're getting more and more into. If you're an auto racing fan, you're watching multiple disciplines. So um, I think more and more people are coming around to that. So I, I look, if if Greenville's watching, if North Carolina is watching, um, then maybe it's it's worth investigating for sure. So uh, I like it. Um, it's good to see such a good draw. It was surely helped by Indianapolis with the draw being lifted. So um, most definitely uh, that was good good to see encouraging and and caleb i told you after the ratings we saw the race have and the way uh it ended up i just feel that that swings things into the favor of of indycar and nbc working something out for 2022 and beyond well yeah and we saw some articles come out over the weekend where you know it was looking like cbs right and then suddenly i think there was an ap story that came out you know past week or so that basically said, oh, NBC's still highly interested. I've seen several other uh, articles pop up basically saying the same thing. IndyCar, Mark Miles, they expect a deal to get done by the end of this month, which again, that's a timeline we've been hearing for a while. 
But now it seems like NBC is clearly in the driver's seat. Obviously, IndyCar can ask for more money, which I think they were doing anyway. Right. Um, but they have the opportunity now to really go for it and put together something. I know they want more races on network TV. Of course, who wouldn't? But yeah. with what they have, I mean, what is it? 10 races on network TV this year? I think that, I mean, I would be shocked if you, to get any more. Um, I mean, to me, and we've talked about it before, Caleb, I think what, what IndyCar is getting from NBC is more than, than, uh, than, than what it's really worth, to be honest. But I feel like IndyCar is in a position where maybe they can add, ask for a little bit more cash or a little bit more incentive. And I think NBC, from what they've seen, not just from the 500, but also from the, the entire season up till now, it has had an uptick in viewers and it hasn't fallen off. And I think that was the big unknown because we've seen sports come back and events come back pandemic or during the pandemic, and they've all struggled to regain that pre-pandemic viewership. And I think we saw with, with the, uh, with the Kentucky Derby, Caleb, correct me if I'm wrong. It was still sizably down. It bounced back from last year, but what isn't what it was at pre-COVID levels yet. Here we are with the 500 bounces back with a 2% better than 2019. And yeah, that's not a lot, but that's growth. Whereas I think a lot of sports you're seeing a lack of growth or the lack of getting back to pre pandemic levels. So Long story short, I feel like that helps IndyCar and its negotiating power, and I feel like it helps NBC see the value of IndyCar going forward. And I feel, I f- I feel pretty strongly right now that that this is a deal that's going to get done. And I'm sure both sides will have to make a couple concessions, but overall, I think it's been a profitable venture for both. And I see, you know, no reason why it shouldn't continue. Nine network TV races, but Nine. again, I'm sure they would push for ten to twelve, and especially. Uh, these numbers, um, I mean, it's, it's looking positive for them to, again, do something more, do something better. I mean, if you would have told me a couple of years ago, yeah, more than half the races will be on network TV. I would have been like, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then you're going to tell me, oh, they, they, they just had the most watched sporting event in the weekend with the Indy 500. Uh, I would have said, yeah, right. That's that's not yeah, right. I, I feel we're in a position right now that if uh, I am perfectly fine with going forward next year, 2022, uh, minus the money, and I know that's the big thing between IndyCar and, and NBC and all that, take this year's schedule, this year's coverage, and add some sort of drive to survive-esque type show on Peacock and wrap it up. That's fine with me. I'm cool with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would that would be... Awesome. I mean, we'd love to to see some sort of show. And again, they apparently had what was it like a script or, or a pitch? they had a whole pilot shot yeah. from what they said, yeah. which which is a little bit concerning too. So, but then again, I think you know we're going down a rabbit hole too. But we talk about Drive to Survive, and the reason why it works for Formula One is because of the drama off the track, because there is so much that goes into. Formula One behind the scenes. Yeah, there is an IndyCar too, but you know, you watch a Drive to Survive episode and you got maybe maybe one fourth of the show is on track action. And everything else is behind the scenes. They're doing profiles. They're putting a lot of money into it because they're going overseas. They're going to all these guys' home countries and even uh when they, they follow Gunther Steiner when he goes home and all this stuff. So there's a lot of money that goes into it. But I don't know if it's as simple as saying okay, IndyCar just does their own drive to survive because it's a different formula for IndyCar. So I, I think 
you 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 have to develop something but also have the intrigue because i think that's what formula one has with drive to survive that i i don't think it works for all kinds of motorsport you can't just slide indycar into that formula and it work you can't just slide cup into that formula and it'll work it has to be something different but similar if that makes sense yeah i mean they tried indycar 36 several years ago that was interesting but it wasn't as fast paced yeah as drive to survive and and i think after the first couple, of, it felt like they were the same. Yeah, all the time. I, I don't think they're that was quite on the level of what it needed to be, but it was a start, and yeah, it was that's something. more than what we were getting at the time. Yeah, uh, or that we're getting now. True, true. We're really not getting much of anything now. Um, a couple of other things: uh, the purse, which it was unclear what the purse would be, uh, yeah. up eighteen percent compared to last year. Uh, Elia won $1.8 million total purse of $8.85 million. That's up from $7.5 million in, in 2020. Uh, it's up, not though as high, I think, as we would have expected. Um, also, uh, there's a really good article by Jim Aiello of the Indy Star where he follow along Mark Miles on race day. Uh, so check that out. Uh, the The reaction that he had, he was essentially left speechless when uh, Dr. Kane of the Marion County Health Department <laughs> said like, wow, what a great day. It's so good to be here. And she asked for a picture with him, which I thought was just kind of hilarious. <laughs> Probably because like, he thought she was, she was about joking. to call him out on yeah. uh, having more than 135,000 people there. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that real fast. <laughs> okay. Um, 135,000. Wink, wink. Yeah. Uh, um, it, it looked, and, and look, they have 235,000 grandstand seats. There, No one in the infield, no one in the snake pit, no one on the Miller Lite party deck. You know, there are people in the suites, but that looked a lot fuller. I mean, I don't I yeah. don't know how to estimate the crowds at the Speedway. I'm not going to pretend to have a clue, no. but it felt a lot fuller than I would have expected. Maybe there was a little bit more space between people than usual if it's full, but if that place seats 235,000 and 135,000 people were in attendance... I find it hard to believe if you can point out 100,000 empty seats that we saw. And yeah, you were there. I yeah. saw it on TV, but you were there, Caleb, with the, boots on the, the ground. The overhead shots, it you could at least see the empty seats. Obviously, the wide-angle shots, it's it, it looks full, Yeah, which, again, that's good for TV. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know how many people, but way more than 135,000. You know, 150, 160, I, I don't know, but it looked a lot fuller. And, uh, you know, they pulled it off. They pulled it off. So uh, I don't know if it was a wink-wink thing with the health department in the county, but it seemed to be more than 135K. And one other note, Nick Yeoman of the IndyCar Radio Network uh, tweeting, uh, perhaps lost a bit in the shuffle of a historic day IMS. How about six different winners from five different teams in IndyCar's six races this year? We're still waiting for Team Penske to notch one. How about that? That's pretty wild. It's insane. I mean, you're talking, um, you know, diversity in this series in terms of uh of you know who can win races six drivers five teams and none of them are from team penske if you like what you hear you can find more at newtrackrecordpodcast.com you can also subscribe to our email list while you're there also check out the store as well we have stickers for sale you can also find us at newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com on social media like us on facebook search for new track record on Twitter, our handle is IndyCar Podcast. 
And you can find us on your favorite podcasting platforms. Follow us for free on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating if you follow us on there. If you're really nice, write a review. You can also find us on Spotify or follow us for free wherever you find your podcasts. Time now for the mailbag where we get to your tweets, emails, Facebook messages. Uh, hate mail. T- yeah, hate mail, telegrams. Telegrams. Did I mention email? Holograms. I don't, I don't know if we uh, are doing holograms yet, but that would be cool. That would be fun. Coming soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, coming in five years. Um, <laughs> all right, so getting to your tweets. First from R. Cole. Just watch the 2005 intro that gets my vote for least favorite. Hashtag Speed City. That's talking about any 500 intros. A couple from DC Soda. Uh, you can put me in the not a huge Dixon fan camp. I think he's a fantastic driver and seems like a genuine dude. His wins tend to be boring races to me. I won't be angry if he wins, but I hope there's some excitement along the way. Well, you don't have to worry about that. You got uh, your excitement. Also yeah. referencing that Indy Star thing. I think those articles weren't all from this year. I saw at least one from 2019. Yeah, several of the articles in reference were going back a few years on that that blog post that is yeah. calling out Indy Star. And, and, and look, when the Indy Star, no, no media entity does as much coverage on the Indianapolis 500 than the Indianapolis Star. Whether you think it's quality or not, that's facts. And it's not all going to be glowing. Of the dozens of articles they write in the month of May, a couple are going to be negative or address controversial things about the Indianapolis 500. So, like I said, you can pick and choose the headlines or the stories that you want to fit that narrative. But I, I think it's it's unfair. And I think that uh, the Indianapolis Star with the manpower and woman power they have, which is not as much far less than what they used to have, uh, are doing the best they can. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard when management has gutted, you know, editors and, you know, staff jobs and it makes it harder to do the job as you know, as you are well aware, (laughs) Uh, this from demise 90, this is talking about SRX having a, Video game over IndyCar, and it actually looks pretty cool. Yeah, it does. Uh, Demise 90, twinning us iRacing, and that's about it as far as IndyCar options. When the iRacing Indy 500 last week, and it was a blast. I just wish they had St. Pete, Toronto, Portland to complete the schedule. Oh, and Nashville. Yeah. Uh, It'd be great if they had anything to add (laughs) as far as a a game. We don't even have Toronto in real life. True. Yeah. Good point. Uh, N.K. Harden, don't ask questions about looking ahead toward IndyCar's future. It brings out my pessimistic side. This is in <laughs> reference to the year is 2031. Which type of circuit does IndyCar have the most of you, on its schedule? And did you realize that the figure eight track got more votes than <laughs> ovals? Yes, you are correct. <laughs> 63% said road course, 20% street course, 7% oval, 10% figure eight. Uh, I mean, the people Not have promising. spoken. So, um, well, we're going to uh, retweet that and send it to Mark Miles and Roger Penske because obviously the people demand figure eights. <laughs> um, you tweeted about the uh, NBC issue, leaders coming in for the final pit stops. IndyCar and NBC goes to commercial, and at underscore Alexa Christian just quote tweeted and said the worst. <laughs> yes, yeah, and it's not been the first. It was it wasn't the first time, and it will not be the last. All right, rate the race, and we have a million entries on this. We'll start with our own. I'll let you go first. Me rate the race. I'm going to go uh, a nine for me. Um, kind of using your formula. We didn't have a lap la- last lap 
uh, pass for the win. We had a you know 199 close. Um, I felt like it was everything we could have expected. Uh, maybe not as much um, drama in the middle of the race. I don't want to say it was boring, but I think it settled in there for a while, which you're going to have in a 200-lap race for sure. But uh, it's it's tough to give it a 10. For me, I grade things a little bit harsher than others. But I'm comfortable saying it's a 9 and, and one of the best Indianapolis 500s that I've ever seen. Yeah, I am between a 9 and a 10. I don't really think it's going to get much better than what we saw, like you said, besides a, a last lap pass for the win. Um I don't like being the one who's being different just to be different. That's your job, but I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to give it a 9.5. I'm not quite sold on giving it a 10, Yeah, uh, but I'm going to give it a 9.5. Look, I think it was the best form of pure um, actual passing at the front that we've seen. Like some people are going to mention those couple years, you know, where nobody wanted to lead and there was 2013, you know, yeah, where there was tons of passing and all that. And everybody's like, oh, let's go back to 2013. The problem with that was, is nobody wanted to lead. And even then you had that last Sunday where, you know, you had to have Alex Pillow up front and they said, okay, you know, I'm burning fuel and you kind of switch a little bit, but there was an actual push to be in front at all times. And while you were burning more fuel, you weren't left out to dry out front. And then conversely, you couldn't really drive away from anybody when you were out front. So well, even last year in, in the race, R- Rossi and Dixon were swapping the lead just to save fuel back and forth. Right. And that was the bulk of the passing. I mean, obviously Sato passed Dixon late in the race, then held Dixon off. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, it was a lot of manufactured passing Whereas this race. Yes, there was some in the first half, which is going to be expected. But I mean, toward the end, these guys were going for it. And, you know, 13 different drivers led laps. And I want, and, you know, a couple of them were bit, were on pit cycles with Ferrucci and Karam, but the majority of them led a decent amount of, of laps, other than two each for Ferrucci and Karam, three for Pagano. Uh, everybody else led at least seven or more laps. So, well, um, and, and Nathan Brown of the Indy Star tweeted 35 lead changes, most since 2017. Uh, it tied that year's mark. And he said the proclamation we'd see a better race compared to the last couple of years certainly lived up to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel too is is we made a big deal about the weather. And while it was cool-ish, we had track temperatures north of 100 degrees, which I think caught some of the teams off balance, thinking it was going to be cooler. So while it was it was cooler than, you know, when it's in the 90s or upper 80s, it still wasn't a relatively... Uh, cool race in that the track was was in its prime or in the right the sweet spot for racing i mean it was still pretty warm on track yet we saw a lot of passing yeah very sunny day so yes it was below 70 degrees at the green flag but with the sun the asphalt it didn't feel like <laughs> 65 sure degrees in, or it, it still yeah. felt warm in the aluminum bleachers, too, I'm sure you it felt much warmer than it was. For sure. All right. Taking a look at uh, rate the race responses. Uh, Car McFast won. The start was horrible, but good ending, seven and a half. Uh, Zave J32, nine, lots of action and strategy. Didn't have cash of his winning, but glad to see. NK Harden, nine, 2013, still my greatest ever. This was great. Every cent had a different car up front. The battle between Elio and Pelot was an all-time classic. 
Uh, Vicky Lynn 26, 20, best day ever. <laughs> uh, Tyler underscore Allen gave it a 10. Poet Shevchenko. I was driving home from out of state, so I was listening to it on Sirius XM, and it sounded fantastic. Just watched the fast forward video on IndyCar's YouTube, and I'm hovering between a 9 and a 10. Anything that I would say would make it better is purely personal preference, so 10. Uh, according to Stitch, gave it a 10. Action, drama, and history to send us into less unprecedented times. <laughs> um, and it said, and by the way, as long as we were finishing the season at Long Beach, we we're still in unprecedented times. That's fair. That is true. That is fair. That is true. Uh, Ramsey's underscore A underscore Perez gave it a 20. That's two votes for it's 20. Two for 20. Uh, R. Cole, 4.06 with a wink face emoji. <laughs> I get that. Uh, love the race. How can you not be happy seeing Elio win? Uh, let's see. Rob underscore McMahon and eight. Great race. Great winner. The only thing that would have been better is if RHR took it. Uh, he looked like he had a chance until he just really kind of choked it away. Um, let's see who else. Billy Elvis gave it a 100. Um, there are a few more. I'm sure I'm forgetting here. Uh, Zach Hurley, eight, seven, seven, one easy eight, probably a nine, if not for a bit of a slow start Had a legend or young gun winning coming into the final lap with plenty of unknowns. Hard to ask for much more than a literal photo finish. Yeah. Uh, Nathan S388 gave it an eight. Uh, let's see. Uh, Beyonce underscore SC1 gave it a four. The last few laps in the early yellow flag don't make up for the single file procession that went on almost immediately from the start. Wasn't the cooler weather supposed to make for a better race? Beyonce is not happy. No. I felt like the way the race is run. And I know what he's talking about, you know, coming out of turns two and four, everybody kind of snaking their way. But I feel like you came out of turns like that, but then there were moves to be made on those on the straightaways. So I felt like um, there was plenty of passing, plenty of passing opportunities throughout the race. So, yeah, at times it was it was strung out a little bit. But look, over the course of 500 miles, you're going to have some some stints where not a lot's going on. But. It definitely, You're not going to get 2013 8500 or Fontana 2015. Yeah, right. Considered the two greatest oval races I think we'll ever yeah, see. Ever. Yes. Outside of, you know, excluding the IRL pack racing era. Sure. Yeah. Um, it, it, you're just not going to get that every day. Let's talk about the start real quick because, you know, the, the ending overshadowed a lot of storylines throughout the race. <laughs> How bad the start was. So what, what was it? Was it a late green? Cause it really wasn't analyzed and there wasn't a good, um, good TV shot of it was the front row stalling a little bit and everybody accordion, similar to what we've seen it. We saw at Texas. What really did you see and what have you, uh, read or, or heard about what could have been a very disastrous start? Haven't really read or heard anything about it, but, Scott Dixon tried, I think, to pull an Elio where you lull Hesitate, everyone and then yeah, take then off yeah. and you're gone. But instead, he really just pulled a willpower where you stack yeah. everyone up and it's a mess. And look, it's it's two, <laughs> it's 500 miles. Like, don't play games early. Like late restarts, whatever. At a tr- if it's a race that's going to be cl- it's going to be difficult to pass, fine. But don't play games on the start of the Indianapolis 500. I mean, that could have easily been disastrous and taken out a half dozen cars because it looked like it was about to. Get I, crazy. I can't believe they made it through yeah, lap right? one clean. Yeah, I mean the, the the front stretch was was enough, and then going into turn one, I was like, here we go, because the way the accordion effect happened, there wasn't a lot of space. Uh, between the cars going into the first turn but 
you know, thankfully everybody made it. But, you know, I I feel like it, if something had happened, the main story would still be Elio winning. But I think the second biggest story is what's going on with these starts and how do we fix these? Because we mentioned it after Texas and we potentially could have had a disastrous situation in Indianapolis. I think it's something that IndyCar needs to address sooner rather than later because drivers play too, way too many games at the at the front of starts and restarts on ovals and it, it almost you know ruined the show before it even got really started on Sunday. Maybe they really need to look into a specific restart and start zone. The Geico restart zone that is used <laughs> by Cup. Yes, I'm down. I mean, they used to you know have those cones. Mm-hmm. I like you know yeah, you, on the fence. Yeah, you didn't accelerate. You accelerated after like is those that no longer a thing? I have no idea. I don't think so. Yeah, so. I don't know. Like, is it because you hear conflicting things? It's up to the pole sitter to set the the pace, set the you know when the race starts. But when the green waves, can people still not go until the 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 pole sitter goes? I mean, I don't understand. So if the pole sitter is trying to sag back and get an advantage, yet the green is waving, then what are the drivers around him supposed to do? So it's it's a difficult situation, and I think that unfortunately right now IndyCar is not making a priority because we've seen it bite some drivers in the dust this year at Texas, and it could have been disastrous this 500. Thankfully, it was not. It was not an yes. embarrassing mess. Like I, I fully expected with the start. I'm like, this is going to be Yeah, bad. I, I feel that. Go kudos to the drivers. I think we had a very competent 33 drivers in there. Four in the wide. Four yeah, wide at one right? point. <laughs> uh, not a lot of bums in the 33-car field, for sure. And I think they they showed that before they even completed lap one. Uh, some more rate the race from Demise 90 and 9, for sure. The lack of cautions made the fuel strategy a huge part of the entire race. You didn't know who was going to be in the best position at the end until the final stops. The finish was amazing, and what a win for Elio. I don't think anyone didn't want to see him win it. Yeah, I think that was also a factor. I mean, it... It made it exciting because so many people were rooting for that outcome when it, it seemed like it was a possibility. You wanted to see the history. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you root for the stories, right? Marco Andretti winning the 500 would be a story. Um, and, and Elio Castroneves winning his fourth would be a story. It definitely was. And the TV rating you know, proved that. Yeah, the 7.1 million at the end of the 500, those were casual people turning on to see the final couple laps or or once they heard that Elio was in contention or Elio had won. But the rating was up during the course of the race as well. So um, that's a good thing. And, And while the story of Elio winning sold it, I think there was more interest even before that happened. Yeah, and can we also put to the put to rest that Foreign drivers winning bad for IndyCar. <laughs> and this American is, win- yeah. drivers winning is good for IndyCar. Uh, that's another antiquated yeah. notion. Yeah. I find that, uh, you know, oh, we need more. And th- that's luck- that's one thing we haven't seen in the mailbag as much anymore is, oh, we need no more American drivers. <laughs> uh, at Will Mall, gave it a nine pick TK to win, but happy for Elio. Uh, let's see. Uh, at Racer, Mac RTP one, an easy nine plus. Uh, strategy, plenty of drama, thrilling battle for the win, only deducting one point because at the beginning, no one really did anything. It was starting to feel like it was 2018 all over again. After that, I got everything, everything in all caps. I went in a race plus a record, a uh, race record speed. You know what's weird is, um, you know, it makes a point about nothing happened early on. So 
that go completely against how the start went. Everybody was trying, you know, you're trying to make a move early, but then everybody just settles in the first stint, first two stints. So what's the difference? Why, why, why play games at the start when all you're going to do anyway is settle in and see what you got over the next 20, 40, 50 laps. It, it kind of defeats the purpose of playing those mind games that, you know, once again could have resulted into something very, very bad to start. And guys and gal aren't going to like, yes, if you can make up the position, I mean, Will Powers on board on the first lap was amazing. Right. Um, if you can do it, great. But if not, you can't be too concerned. I mean, it's the first lap or two of the race. I yeah, mean, you have right? time. So, and a lot of things can happen. So fuel strategy, tire, I mean, so much can happen that there's no reason to, I guess, like you said, kind of, you know, go all out in the first two stints and, I think that's what we saw. And that's what we see because they settle in and there's still a decent amount of passing early on. Right. Granted, it was guys moving in and out of the lead to save fuel. And that again, that's fine. But at least we saw something. It was not a runaway. Yeah, not, not at all. And I think there was a lot more going on in the field than, than maybe we recognized or NBC caught. But I feel like that's almost every 500 other than, you know, 2013 and ones where there's the same amount of passing, particularly up front is, Guys just want to get through the first couple laps, settle in, see what they have, particularly if they're in the midfield or above, is they're not going to rush things. And I was perfectly fine with with the stints early on because it's exactly what the drivers and teams are wanting. Yes, I I would agree. And again, it it was, as I think, as good of a race we'll get without it being a perfect 10. I, yeah. I was tempted to give it a 10, but again, nine and a half. Uh, last rate the race tweet. From STP underscore kit, as best as it gets with these technical rules. So 7.5 would be a 10 out of 10 if there was more technical competition. Okay. <laughs> oh, so we're going back to, uh, you know, there's no... It's, it's not 1995 series, anymore. Huh? And I don't yes. think you'd want that kind of race with uh, the top two or three, the only cars on the lead lap. Right. I don't think yeah. you'd want I, that. I, yeah, I don't, you know, people are clamoring for innovation, but you're definitely not clamoring for... I mean, we have people writing in about the lack of action early on. Like, there's going to be lack of action if there was two or three cars in the lead lap. Can you imagine that intrigue? Uh, yeah. You can't win. Several more. I found some more. I, I told you there are a lot. DC Soda, 10, drama at the end. Great running up to that point. Got to see strategies develop. Anyone complaining about the start slash first half needs to pay more attention. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly timed there. Uh, at Sig Domer, two for the first 170 laps and a 10 for the last 30. Transdotion Trojan gave an 8. Daniel SEM 2004, a 9.5. So all over the place, but largely a lot of 9s and 10s. Yeah, and and this was weird too because I saw um, various people put out on Twitter. They're wondering how many or how many, if any, Indy 500 titles would Elio trade for a series, a season championship? None. None. Absolutely none. The right answer is zero. Okay. This is not up for debate. A season championship is not worth anything compared to winning the Indianapolis 500. I don't care how much they're getting, how fancy the cup is, the, the trophy is, the Astor Cup, all that jazz. No driver, no driver is giving up. Indianapolis 500 wins for season championships, period. And I can guarantee you that Scott Dixon would love to give 
some of those season championships up for another Indianapolis 500. But to the point that I saw that a couple of people were debating, going back and forth, that made complete complete nonsense to me, is Elio Castroneves would not trade a single Indianapolis 500 for any season championship ever. Because it goes back to what we've talked about, Caleb, before, is you are remembered for how many Indianapolis 500s you win. How many series championships did Rick Mears win? I don't know. I have no idea. A.J. Foyt won what? Seven. Yep. And that's just he's A.J. Foyt, so you know you know his And, and we his, know that one because he is the all-time leader. Right. <laughs> uh, Al Unser Sr., how many season champions have, has he won? Uh, like five or six. No one cares about <laughs> season championships when we talk about the legacy of drivers. Sam Hornish Jr., how many did he win? Uh, I have no four? idea. I, see, I, I have no one, clue. One, two... Didn't he win in like 2006 and three or four? Point is, I couldn't tell you how many <laughs> Sam Hornish won. And nor does he care, but he won at Indianapolis 500. So that, that I mean, I don't care. You know, don't get dragged into a debate. The answer is no single driver would ever trade an Indianapolis 500 win for a series championship. It would never happen. And conversely, every single driver who has won a series championship would trade it in a heartbeat. Or an Indy 500 win. End of story, period, no debate. That's the answer. <laughs> Moving right along. I think Hornish won in 2006, the series title as well. I think so too. Yeah, so he won three. Uh, Poet Shevchenko uh, tweeting, just got a copy of the SRX Racing video game, still winning on you, IndyCar. And then just realized they'll have this year's Indy 500 winner in their inaugural season. A pretty big boon for the fledgling series. Yeah. So was it like a downloadable game or... I, think i i know nothing about i don't it. think it's like a it's not a disc like you can't no. go buy it like on playstation or xbox or whatever i just uh i'm not sure what kind of if it's just a downloadable game if it's a if it's downloadable content on it on an existing game i'm not sure all i know is it looked pretty darn good and better than anything indycar has <laughs> well that's not saying much. <laughs> i mean yeah i know it's not hard but it isn't like you know Something you looked at that it's like on your a game on your phone or whatever or your iPad. Like it legitimately looks like a pretty decent game. Uh I tweeted Is it May yet on Tuesday. You were you were not Yeah, thrilled. I was not pleased with this uh, particular you, you responded with in all caps, there are more IndyCar races than just the Indianapolis five hundred. <laughs> yeah, you Mr. <laughs> complain about people not knowing about the rest of the season and you <laughs> wondering when it's May again. You're part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no it was in good nature i knew what you were talking about after the the race we had and the, the month we had for sure looking forward to next may but you know we have uh we have what 11 more races nine more races something like that yeah something like that uh a couple of replies on that vicky lynn 26 there are but after sunday who wouldn't want more of that right now our cole said uh in related news are either of you coming up for the detroit gp so we should have a meetup um i don't know I am not. Um, I'm getting dragged camping next weekend. Oh, there you go. Where at? Uh, Chain of Lakes. Oh, it's a nice place to camp. Yeah, I'll be in. So we've we've camped there before in an RV, but not. Uh, we got a tent. It's gigantic. I put it up on Monday just to try to figure out what I'm doing. Uh, it's it's sleep sixteen people <laughs> in it for all three of you. For all three, and Noah's <laughs> taking a friend, so it's four of us. Four. Now I will say, once I got it up, I looked in there, and I'm like. 
I don't know how you would fit 16 people in it's that It's probably thing. like eight, right? Yeah, I, yeah. You, it probably sleeps comfortably eight, but it's still humongous. But yes, that's where Does I'll it be. Does it have the, the separate rooms? Yes, like it has different like corridors. It has a hallway. It has an aviary. No, I mean, it's huge. <laughs> but it has aviary. like different... Does it have a library, a study? <laughs> yes, yeah, a study. A, uh, trying uh, to think of clue words, you know, for fancy rooms. Yeah, so it's, it's massive. So... That's what I'll be doing and, and hopefully watching at least Saturday's race from the campground uh, instead of going up to Detroit. But are you considering going up there? I'm considering, but it'd be kind of like a last minute decision. I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. But maybe. I think maybe the week off could, you know, I've a couple times had credentials to go up to Detroit and then it's it's always right after Indy and I'm just. Yeah. Beat. You're just, you're beat after this weekend, you know, being in town not being gone for at least a day for the first time in three weeks. Yeah. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to recharge. We'll see. I don't know. Probably not. Uh, but I mean, I'm already going to Nashville. I went to the, the GP, the 500, obviously might sneak in one of the mid Ohio races, assuming that's a double header. Yeah. Might sneak in gateway or something. Even the second IMS road course race, which I'm not a fan of those, but it's hard to not want to go. True. Especially yeah. if you get free tickets or if it's cheap. I mean, it's 35 bucks to get in last time. That's nothing. Yeah. Anytime you can get to, to IMS, feels like a good enough reason to go. Hunter's Way 67 uh, in response to all this says, stop it. If anything, is it September 26th yet? Long Beach could be epic. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, let's see. A few more tweets. On uh, on the TV rating uh, article saying, thanks, Elio. Hashtag defy everything. <laughs> um, yeah, we haven't seen this. <laughs> Poet Shevchenko, uh, this is what you want to see in a TV contract year, especially since other major events are still down from 2019. And he, he has the stonks picture, but it's Roger Penske with like the laser eyes holding the Borg Warner, the baby Borg. So yeah. that's, that's awesome. Nice. Um, He's spot then, on. I mean, in a contract year, that's what you want to see. And then he he tweeted, you know, he said, and this makes sense, and we just kind of laughed at it, but he tweeted us before, earlier in the season, what are the chances that Indy 500 becomes the most watched race of 2021? Uh, very high. Yeah, now. what's going to beat it at this point? I mean, I... Is there a... I mean... The NASCAR finale, maybe? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Not That's a stretch. Football. I mean, over July 4th? I mean, were they racing over July 4th weekend? That's usually... At, the, uh, at Daytona. Daytona. Yeah. But didn't they move stuff around? I mean, last year it was at Indy, for example. Right. This year it's not. But Yeah, I'm not sure. But that, that'd be the only race that I could think of that could but potentially be. I don't think so. I mean. No, I don't think so either. I I think it really could be. Now, you tweeted this out talking about the uh, racer article F1 open to avoiding any 500 calendar clash so its drivers can compete, says Ross Braun. That's all great. But right. A lot of people made excellent points probably not going to do anything to change you know the number of f1 guys competing because either way unless it's a two-week gap they're going to miss qualifying for indy or they're going to miss the monaco race so uh some of the responses there let's see here um Derek underscore Faber or Fabert, uh, despite being a meteorologist, I don't know if Monaco gets too hot falling May to make this possible, but if so, move Monaco to April. Uh, so I looked up the weather for Monaco. You would. 
and I don't feel like it gets deathly hot in, in June. For example, the average high is approximately seventy five degrees. So of course it is. Mediterranean else, climate. Yeah, everything else is perfect weather. in Monaco. Now the weather's got to be. He said, "Yeah, he said April." So April, according to Wikipedia. The average high in April for Monaco is 62 degrees. So actually mm. on the cooler side. Yeah, it's a little. But the record high is 79. So, I mean, it's doable. But when you have the amount of yachts and people on boats in uh, in Monaco for the race, I'm not sure if you want to be playing around if it's going to be 58 degrees for the, yeah. the race. Well, and we talked about this a little bit. I mean, with Monaco, if it's off a week, that's fine. But the F1 guys can i mean either way they're gonna miss qualifying right for the 500 and so they'd yeah, start which, at the rear so unless you're getting like a handful of them yeah <laughs> i just let's take daniel ricardo for example let's say he's interested in running the 2022 indianapolis 500 and the schedule allows him to run it at least race weekend but he's gonna want a lot of practice right he's yeah. gonna want a week leading up to practice even before qualifying weekend so could we see daniel ricardo come in and say i'll come into practice there's no practice on Monday, so you're doing, okay, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you have to head out to do Monaco, you have to think, and then so he misses Thursday, he misses Fast Friday, he misses qualifying weekend, and so he had two days on track, he's starting last, and you know that's, that's not an incentive to do the race, I don't think, so I think we, we were talking kind of crazily about f1 in indianapolis i don't think that's imminent now if if coda's you know back on the schedule going forward but would you try to replace the indy grand prix with a formula one race to kick off the month of may and would that help the situation in any way that would be more interesting i don't see how i mean for ims sake it actually doesn't make sense to have two big events so close to each other right um, as far as revenue, because people who people will come in for now, the local crowd, it doesn't really impact them. But as far as people come in worldwide, they'll come to F, they'll have to choose between F1 and Indy 500. True. And probably a lot of them would choose the Indy 500 as long as Monaco is not the same weekend. Right. Yeah. I just, uh, it sounded good. Um, and I think it is. I don't know if it's it's better than the you know potentially being on the same day I guess for drivers but at the same time it still is pretty unrealistic because you need multiple weeks especially if you're a Formula 1 driver like a Daniel Ricardo or Lando Norris or whoever that has expressed interest in doing the Indianapolis 500 at some point I don't see them taking the route of doing it while they're still racing F1 interesting that Elena Norris says he'd eventually like to do F1. He was on the Sky Sports TV coverage for the Indy 500 over the weekend. Basically, this sounds pretty far off in the Racer.com article by Chris Medland, uh, but some of his quotes, I think, are are telling. Um, it's also the history that makes it so special. In my eyes, I'd rather win a championship than just win Monaco. Amazing thing about winning Monaco is the history of it, because if you're on pole and can lead into turn one, it's almost like a guaranteed win in a way, so it's not like you do anything incredible to win. At Indy, you have to do something more incredible to win with your strategy, fuel, things like that. Um, he says, I think Indy's more like a prestigious event that people look forward to because it's so unique and so different to anything else you normally see, so it's something I'd like to do. But again, pretty far off, I think. I don't think that's happening 
anytime soon. Um, you posted a poll, which remaining race on the 2021 schedule, most looking forward to 45% said Nashville tied for second gateway and road America at 19% long beach third at 17%. A lot of replies on this, uh, Vicky Lynn 26 Nashville because it's noon. I'm so excited for Joseph. Otherwise I'm really excited to get back to long beach. If we can get it together here North of the border. That is so I can go. Yeah. Good luck in Canada. Um, <laughs> our cold Detroit GP taking my little guy on Friday. I know it's Detroit GP time because there are articles in the local press about people complaining slash upset about bell Isle recreation space being limited due to the race. Of course. <laughs> uh, Hunter's way 67, uh, says, well, I've been to the Texas doubleheader and I'm going to Nashville and long beach and hoping Laguna Seca as well. Really looking forward to Nashville, but my vote is for my home race, long beach, uh, Jordan underscore Wilman. I keep checking the schedule, but I see no Michigan dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Poet Shevchenko going to Nashville in person. It looks like the track will make for an excellent race, but road America is it's road America. So those two are tied. Tyler underscore Allen. Can you just add in all the above? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Our Ar- said outside of Detroit, definitely Nashville Transocean Trojan Monaco, the West coast, of course, mainly cause I will be there. <laughs> That's long beach for those of you. Uninformed. Yeah. Uh, DPI five mid Ohio NK Harden Nashville by a mile. I have high expectations for the event in the crowd and Jay Holden three, five, six long beach by 192.864 miles. <laughs> Very specific amount. Yes. <laughs> Thought that was funny. Um, and then finally, uh, you had the poll on the blackout. Uh, should the I TV did? blackout of the Indy 500 in central Indiana be lifted permanently? 69% said yes. 31% said no. Um, our Cole said, I want to know who voted no and why. Uh, it me. Yeah, I, you. I am selfish and love the blackout because I go to the race and then I'm still staying in Indy for the weekend and then I, I go back and, and watch the race on TV. So, yes, that's why. Uh, Joseph underscore Bear said, has anyone ever been to the Indy 500? Never thought it was better on TV. Valid point. Yes, true. The, the experience. But for you, you could always just set the DVR and tape it. True. But I just, I like coming back, having the set time when pre-race starts, the race starts. I don't know. Tradition. That, that's the problem. The, the TV blackout is as much a part of the tradition as everything else on race day. And I know some people are just cursing and, and yelling and mad at me for saying that. But that's how I feel. You can't break tradition. Except when you yes. start 35. <laughs> In the 97 Indy 500, you know, a NASCAR race, F1 race, MotoGP, Red Bull Air Race, IndyCar GP, um, USAC, CART, IRL, Champ Car. <laughs> <laughs> All the above. Continue, continue. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how many more I have to say here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that uh, wraps up. Oh, wait. Another tweet. Uh, this from Poet Shevchenko. Looks like good overseas TV viewership, too. This from someone whose name I cannot pronounce from the Netherlands. Uh, in the Netherlands, it was around 700 to 750,000, which is huge on just 17 million people. Yeah. Renus VK, I'm sure, will be a draw for that country for many, many years to come. Yes. And that's a good thing. A couple of emails as well that we got from James. Uh, he has thoughts, rants, raves. This is just a chain of thoughts. Uh, shame on me for not predicting another Super Bowl outcome. Looking so forward to more NASCAR drivers and commentator roles. AJ, you have five wins total. Please let the little guy try and close the garage. (laughs) (laughs) CBS lineup, dig up Brent must have a hamburger. Hobbs and Goodyear. Uh, 
and Robin and pay Jamie Little over from NASCAR. Why not? You want NASCAR at the Indy 500. Number three, tax evading, adulterer, ungrateful. In brackets, Greg Moore won this one. Uh, Raves, yeah, youth movement. Uh, Darn USA, Connor and Graham with uh, maybe if Ryan Hunter Ray had this. Few on the arrow screen. Nice on Lone Star JR. Back to program drawing board. Uh, people say there's now a fourth four time winner. He designed the cover. Bye bye, Steph. You aren't your brother, nearly him. Next, time for Bell, aka the new Marty. Uh, and the 2002 winner, PT and Lee, to go bye bye. Lee F1 is calling. PT, you can still eat Oreos and drive the old timer races. <laughs> Townsend, your barber is calling. Finally, yeah, and Mike Shank, milk it for all it's worth until American drivers win again. And he sent another one, and this is more on 2022 predictions. CBS with new anchors and IndyX drivers. Rossi Dipinski to replace Passionode, even though should have been power. Tax Evader full-time with Shank. Wow, we're not letting that one go. Yes. Uh, Pareto, uh, Pareto experiment over. 38 cars for 2022 500 entered. Uh, wow, that would be amazing. Uh, Dixon's last year full-time. No Bourdais, Wilson, Erickson, Hinch, or Santino. I could see No Bourdais, Wilson, Erickson, as far as the the 500. Hinch, I could see in just the 500. Santino, same as well. But right. I think, I mean, Hinchcliffe is got to get some results here. He second half of the needs season. to pick it up for sure. Now, I think what helps is he brings some sponsorship. So he's not a simply a hired driver. He's bringing some money with him and some spot visual sponsors, but he's, I don't know if he's lucky, but the fact that Andretti Autosport as a whole is struggling kind of hides the fact that James Hinchcliffe has been a non-factor all season long. Yeah, he's he's really struggled. He's one of the last in points. It's it has been a rough rough year for Hinchcliffe and the Andretti team outside of Herta's win uh, yeah. at St. P. I mean, it's just it's just not been a real good uh, real good season. And then last tweet, this from Poet Shevchenko, uh, who would be the next F one driver to do the five hundred? I think the obvious answer is Lando Norris. I think the reality is it's someone we're probably not even going to think of. Somebody who's not going to be, think whoever's going to be out of a job relatively soon. I don't expect Lando Norris to be out of an F1 job. No, he's anytime pretty set. Soon. So um, I'm going to say Sergio Perez. Yeah, that would be my guess as well. I'm going to say Checo because he is not carrying his weight at Red Bull right now. It's Max Verstappen as a one-man team in terms of competing up front. And when you're dealing with two Mercedes and you're dealing with, you know, can you throw both Ferraris in there showing, showing, you know, life, you know, even two McLarens, um, Perez doesn't seem to be in the pointy end of things very often. And it's already been pointed out this year that they need more from Perez. I wouldn't be surprised me at the end of this year, Perez is out definitely going into 2023 if he is not a consistent factor helping out Verstappen. Yeah, I I mean, he's got to get some results. I, Which I also think, not to cut, off, cut you off, Caleb, but I also think Sergio Perez in the Indianapolis 500 or IndyCar in general is probably the best thing for IndyCar in terms of current F1 drivers because it adds another Mexican driver in the field and that goes to added incentive to add a race in Mexico with Pato Award and Sergio Perez. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That that would almost guarantee a 
Mexico race, probably Mexico City, same circuit they race at F1. Yeah. I mean, it, that would make it happen. And in my opinion, would become the second most attended race on the schedule. Outside of the 500, yeah. Correct. No, yeah, I, yeah. I would agree. Absolutely. Um, this from IndyCar Deep Throat. Justin, you ready to talk about one of our favorite topics? Oh, yeah. We talk, We just dropped an, an international race nugget, yeah, so true. why not one of our, our other favorite topics? Yeah, a third engine manufacturer, or uh, OEM, if you will. Uh, this from IndyCar Deep Throat. On, uh, said, I have some news that came out of left field for you. It looks like Roger Penske is working hard to get the third OEM for 2023. Toyota. Hey, hey. And that's one that we've speculated on. We've spoken on. about Toyota. It makes the most sense, in my opinion. And it sounds like, not to get ahead of ourselves, Lord knows we've, a lot of people have been ahead of themselves with this. <laughs> it feels like the most natural fit that uh, makes the most sense. And uh, hopefully there's actually some legs to this. Yes, I would agree. And I think that would be the the option like you said it makes the most sense we've narrowed out a lot of other possibilities and that's the one that's still we haven't really heard a, a, a outright denial i mean we know it's not gonna be ford right porsche uh ferrari bmw mercedes i mean we've ruled out a lot of the other major players but toyota is one that we have not ruled out yeah and i think it makes a lot of sense um you look, you know, I'm I'm not going to pretend to know the, the where the state of Toyota and motorsports is, but they're not, while they have a leading team in Cup, they don't have a lot of uh, cars. So would they take a similar approach in IndyCar? Would they not become a sizable team or, um, you know, amount of, they wouldn't, you know, break the series up into thirds, so to speak. What if they... Came in with two teams. You know, it took two teams, six, seven cars, and that was it. Maybe eight or nine for the 500. Even that, I think, would help alleviate some things for Honda and Chevy. And maybe that's a strategy that they like in Cup and would do the same in IndyCar. I think the important thing would be get them on board in whatever capacity that is. All right. This note from Robin Miller's mailbag on racer.com. Someone asked about uh, Rossi. Uh, Robin says, I understand Rossi is at the end of his rope, but where does he go? Not Ganassi. Penske possibly, but not sure RP wants to keep running four cars. Uh, I don't think he wants to race four cars if they're not winning. And right now they're not winning. True. <laughs> none so, of them are winning. <laughs> yeah, none of them are winning, let alone that fourth car. But um, I don't know. Like, le- you look at Alexander Rossi. <sighs> He doesn't Man. have much bargaining. No. You know, like what he doesn't is, have a bargaining chip right now. He hasn't won a race in two years as of this month. Right? Uh, that's that's a while. Um, so he has, when we look at it, um, seven career wins. And I'm just throwing something together here. And James Hinchcliffe has six career wins. Mm-hmm. So is Alexander Rossi James Hinchcliffe with an Indy 500 win? No, because Rossi's been a legitimate championship contender. Hinch, okay. his best series finish is what, like seventh? True. In the standings? Uh, yeah, I think so. Seventh, eighth. I look at it. But um, 
He's definitely trending in that direction. You know, if you would have asked everybody two years ago, he was trending in the direction of Scott Dixon. Correct. And Will and, Power and, and Joseph Newgarden. Mm-hmm. Now we're comparing him to James Hinchcliffe. And so everybody thinking, you make, bring up a great point, Caleb, is everybody assuming, okay, if Rossi leaves, people will want him. And, you know, you and I have speculated about this very thing. Who's lining up to get him? Uh, you look up Chip, Chip Ganassi. They're not getting rid of Dixon until he wants to go. Alex Pelot ain't going nowhere. Yeah, he's he's not going anywhere. Yeah. The Jimmy Johnson, Tony Kanaan thing's happening for another year. Yeah. The only other possibility would be um, Marcus, Marcus Erickson. Erickson. But again, as long as Husky Chocolate provides the funding, I don't sure. think he's going anywhere either. Yeah. I think the option that makes sense, and this would be a huge shift, but would be Aaron McLaren SP. Yeah, Felix Rosenquist still... has really struggled this year. Right. And if he doesn't put it together, you know, the second, we say second half, it's really the second, like it's the two thirds of the season after Indy. If he doesn't get some results, I could see him out of that ride. Or I could see Errol McLaren SP adding a third. Or that. those two. I mean, Rossi replacing Pagano's maybe an option, but I think Pagano, I mean, he had a good Indy 500. Penske will win a race this year. I mean, let's not kid Yeah, let's not, yeah. Now, if Pagino doesn't win a race, does that put him on the chopping yeah. block? Yeah, I think so. Um, look, I, I feel in terms of natural fit, Rossi is the best natural fit for Penske. But let's say Simon Pagino is gone at the end of the year. That doesn't mean that Penske is going to add somebody and stay with four. They could just trim down to three, particularly with their lack of performance thus far. I mean, Roger Penske is not going to have any problems with pulling the plug on a fourth car if he feels like his group is stretched too thin. And, you know, with no wins through six races, that's probably under consideration right now within Pim Penske. So I feel like that. Look, next year, I feel like when you look at Chip Ganassi racing, I think it's Jimmy Johnson running full time. It's Dixon. It's Pelot. And then potentially the Marcus Erickson car or whatever. So maybe there's a spot open. I feel like they run Kanan again to make five for the 500. Yeah. And then I would think that, I mean, Ray Hall's a possibility, I guess, for Rossi, but that would be the third car, right? Unless Sato, you know, retires, right? And you know, I think Ferrucci has more of an inroad to that. And I don't, feel, I feel like that's a step down, despite Andretti's struggles and Ray Hall's performance at uh, at any in particular in terms of consistent contenders for a championship. I'm not sure you could do that at Ray Hall. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, in fact, speaking of Ray Hall, David Land uh, tweeting looks like the Ray Hall number 45 is in for more races later this year with another new partner brand attached. This is a cutout. It's got High V and then Cheetos as opposed to Mountain Dew. I'm guessing that's, you know, the business to business deals feature different products. He also tweeted something earlier this week uh, talking about uh, gateway entries. We could have a lot of extra entries. Look, we expect... Grosjean to be a part of that. Could Jimmy Johnson be a part of that? Elio Castroneves, he doesn't have SRX at that point. I don't think there's an IMSA conflict, so he could be another entry. Um, Ferrucci, obviously, I think would be one of those drivers. Who am I forgetting that could be an extra entry there? Hmm. That's a good question. Cody Ware? (laughs) He he tested. So they had guys test at Road America the other day. Jimmy Johnson, Scott McLaughlin. Grosjean and Cody Ware tested at Road America earlier this week. So uh, those are possibilities. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Um, hopefully we see quite a bit of cars, but, um, you know, first things first, I, I hope we see Elio at Detroit. 
which he has SRX, so I, know. I don't know how that's going to play out. Can't he do both? No. I know. <laughs> uh, Jeff underscore Gluck uh, tweeting, Roger Penske held court with the media for 20 plus minutes. Uh, this is before the 500. And strongly made the case for more ovals than IndyCar. Both short ovals and big said this can't just be a sports car series on road courses and street courses. Well, at I least agree. at least something was said out loud. Right. But now we can also say talk is cheap if the schedule next year fails to provide uh, more oval tracks. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can say it, Roger, but I think, you know, the landscape of ovals right now is that nobody's attending them and nobody wants to host them. So to your, you know, Caleb's been saying he's going to have to buy tracks. I mean, is Roger Penske going to do that? At the very least rent tracks like he did Iowa. Iowa, Kentucky. I mean, you can rent them. They're there. May have to. Kansas. I feel like that's maybe that extra money you get from NBC, you can put into renting some ovals. I I mean, yeah, you just hope that you get the return on the investment by people actually showing up. I mean, Milwaukee. (laughs) I mean, here's the question from that, from that quote from Roger Penske is that he's like, this cannot be a, just a road and street course series. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That is being mentioned. Like all Montana? of a sudden, all of a sudden, people are going to go to Homestead. They weren't going before. Rockingham, right? United Rockingham, Kingdom. I'm telling you, United Kingdom, Rockingham. <laughs> <laughs> Race at both Rockinghams. Make it a back-to-back weekend. <laughs> but uh, no, this is the thing. If 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 Roger Penske is this cannot be a sports car road and street only series, and if he cannot find willing partners to host races. If he's adamant that it cannot be this, then he's going to have to go out and he's going to have to rent these tracks. So uh, is Roger Penske willing to make that investment to do so? Because right now that may be the only option. And again, I think that's a better option than only having like three oval tracks on the schedule personally, but it's not my money. I would agree. Not my money. (laughs) Not my money for sure. But at least Roger made some decent money over the weekend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that up the TV deal probably at least six figures, right? I have to think so. Um, taking a look at other uh, news and notes as we start to wrap it up. Um, Bob Jenkins, he was at the race, which was cool. He was this year's Robin Miller Award winner. Very deserving. Again, continued uh, thoughts to Bob as he fights brain cancer. Um, let's see. Speaking of IMS, USAC will return with the BC 39, August 18th and 19th, the dirt track in turn three of IMS. So pretty cool. Good to see that back. Also, Eric uh, underscore race review tweeting that uh, IndyCar will have an announcement uh, Friday for the August IndyCar race at IMS. So again, you'll probably already know the answer to this when you're listening, but I'm going to guess a title sponsor for the event. Seems like a pretty safe bet. Uh, Also, I saw this. This was from my sports update, and it's an NFL Twitter account. Okay. Uh, Lions head coach Dan Campbell selected as the Grand Marshal for the Detroit Grand Prix. Wow, is he going to get booed? I don't know, but he was wearing a racing helmet and showed up to the press conference with it. Nice. So talk about great publicity. <laughs> That's uh, very well played. Good, good work by the powers that be on that. Also, did you see this, Justin? Dale Jr.'s Lost Speedways. Season, season two. two. Yes. Yeah. It debuts July 1st on Peacock. So less than a month away. Can't wait. I love that show. Told my dad to watch it. He actually got a DVD from the library because he's old <laughs> with all of Richard Petty's Daytona 500 wins Uh huh. and watch them. Um, I think the first 
gosh, was in 1971, 72. But anyway, loved him. And I told him about Lost Speedways, and hopefully he tunes in because it's right up that alley, particularly with some of the tracks they go to in North Carolina and, and out east. But uh, really excited. Hopefully it's more episodes. I think season one was only like five or six yeah. episodes. So. Well, my favorite episode was the last one where they went to Dale Jr.'s property. And just, yeah, right. That and went was around really and, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I've known they've shown signs of that here, there, and they used to, you know, oh, he sent this car and put it into his junkyard and all that. But to go around and hear all the stories with all the, the cars there was, was pretty cool. And then, of course, season one, they went to Indiana to see, what was it, Jungle Park or yeah. something like that, Jungle Raceway? Jungle Park Jungle near Park. Uh, Turkey Run State Park. Yes, that's right. So... um you know, maybe I'd really like to see them um, expand a little bit and go back. I'd love to see them go to like where um, Ontario was to try to find any evidence of those. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those Langhorn and Trenton, all those different ones. You know, hopefully they broaden their horizons a little bit. Texas World them. Speedway. Yes, absolutely. Which I think is getting turned into like a housing development. Of course. Um, Walt Disney Speedway. Yeah, that that you can't even really even tell where the track is Uh, i think that's part of the problem with some of these (laughs) very depressing i'd also uh, like do more road courses i think that would be interesting i'm did they go to nazareth in season one i don't know no i think that'd be a good option yeah i agree pikes peak yeah uh and you know half half of these uh nascar tracks in a couple years they can go to kentucky (laughs) Kentucky, iowa uh, iowa (laughs) too soon (laughs) uh milwaukee just face it it could go to milwaukee Yeah. yeah um okay let's see uh, oh justin it is time before we do tweets of the week ah we need your you random, random split era driver all right let's see i had one let's find it up find it here um i'm not going to go back too far we're going to go back 2004 oh okay. okay of course uh heyday of of the irl and we're going to talk about mark taylor Yes, Mark Taylor. Mark Taylor, who won the 2003 Infinity Pro Series Championship. Yes, that Mark Taylor. Yeah, with Panther Racing, seven wins and eleven starts in the Infinity Pro Series. Now he competed in only what two IRL races? Is that oh, correct? No. Oh, a lot more. Fifteen starts in 2004 between Panther Racing and Access Ed, Motorsports. Okay, I thought he raced with Ed Carpenter, like. Was was he teammates with Ed Carpenter or uh, was something? he? Well, who was with Panther Racing that year in 04? 04. Let's see here. Uh, is that Vitor? No, Vitor was with Ray Hall. Was that Townsend year. Bell and Tomas Schechter? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. 2004 and 2005. Yes, Access Motorsports. Let's see. Um, well, the owner was Greg Ray. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so Greg Ray ran was a owner-driver for the first half of the year in 2004, and then Mark Taylor took over. But looking at uh, his 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 uh, one year in IndyCar, only in, or in the IRL, then IRL, uh, was 2004. 15 starts, his best finish was 17, I don't know, let's see. 12th at Phoenix that year, at a 7th at Nashville. And sec at seventh at the season finale Texas two race. Now, did he compete in the Indy five hundred? He did do Indianapolis five hundred once in two thousand four. Finished thirtieth in two thousand four. And okay, was I correct that he did win the uh, Infinity Pro Series yes. championship in two thousand three? He did. Okay, he beat Ed Carpenter for that. If there I'm not mistaken, go. is that right? Uh, yes, two thousand three Infinity Pro Series. Yep. So 
Yeah, these are the random things I recall that no one cares about. So actually, Ed Carpenter <laughs> finished third oh, in points. Oh, yes. Jeff Simmons. Jeff Simmons was second that year. And um, then the uh, Thiago Medeiros was fourth. Yeah, good old... Uh, Ari Leindijk Jr., seventh. Paul Dana, the late Paul Dana, was ninth that year. Uh, Gary Peterson, I wonder if that's this, the Gary Peterson of AFS. Remember the, the fire oh, sprinklers? Yeah. Yep. Marty Roth. Was he in was that 15th year. in the Infinity Pro Series. Um, let's see other... Scott Harrington was there. Um, Tony Turco. Don't remember him. That's a cool name. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyone else I'm looking at? Billy Rowe. Let's see. Tom Wood, but racing driver from Canada. Don't really remember him. Corey Witherill. I, that name rings a bell. Yeah, so... What a what a what a blast from the past! Blast from the past. He he was involved in incidents in five of his first six starts in 2004, including the Indy 500. He was dropped in favor of Townsend Bell for the rest of the season, and um, drove then for Greg Ray's Access Motorsports. Uh, failed to secure a drive for 2005. Left motor racing. Returned to England, where he lives with wife Vanessa and daughter Savannah. So there is your blast from the past. Driver of the week. Mark Taylor of uh, 2004, now 43 years old, born in Wimbledon, England. Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, Townsend Bell, by the way, with Panther that season, he had a top five and let's see, one, two, four top tens to close it out. So that was actually, interesting enough, the most races he ever did in a cart or IRL season. That's interesting. 10, 10 races. He did in, in 2002 with Patrick Racing, he did, let's see, nine races. So, yeah, otherwise, it was just kind of spot duty. 2008, he did a handful, eight, uh, but pretty much it, it was one or two in the years following that. <laughs> so Interesting. But he, he had some good runs at Indy. Absolutely. I mean, he, he was fourth in 2009. Um Top 10 2008, ninth in 2012, had an opportunity to win the race in 2016 and had a, a pit incident with Ryan Hunter Ray and ruined both the races. So, <laughs> yep. Had, had some, some decent rides though. Definitely. But, uh, Mark Taylor though. Man. Mark Taylor. I haven't thought of that name in several years. And now, yeah. <laughs> a good old Infinity Pro Series. That's right. Before Firestone Indy Lights. <laughs> yep, absolutely. But I'm sure you know the it was it it was uh, thrown out that I'm sure the field was uh, short on entries, but high in talent. <laughs> like something something like that. something to that effect, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Tweets of the week, not a whole lot. Uh, first from Chip Ganassi Racing, their Twitter account CGR Teams. Uh, they posted the meme of like the the girl. You know, thank you for changing my life. And they, they have the Ganassi logo. And then it's just a picture of Alex Pillow. And it's just, I'm literally Alex Pillow. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Renus VK, who had several all time tweets, some that are probably even inappropriate for the podcast. <laughs> uh, the, I don't know if the one about his wife being home, girlfriend, yeah, girlfriend was. It was not in that vein, no, it but, was not, but it, <laughs> it was interpreted that way. It, uh, it, it got some traction on the socials. <laughs> yeah. Um, but a, a different one 
when talking about breakfast. Uh, VK said, kudos to the restaurant employee who asked if I wanted milk with my breakfast. Oh, how about that? <laughs> now, so. Renus VK, of course, for the second straight year, and I think this is going to be his staple now, doing the uh, spin and point yes. and the driver intros. Um, yeah, a little a little uh, awkward, but he knows it, and it's perfectly fine. I thought it was great last year, and then this year, like he, he's like, I'm just sticking with the classic. Yeah, just do it. And I think it's... Uh, I think it's kind of his thing. And so, now that it ran toward the front, I mean, you got to keep doing it, right? I think he's going to quickly become a fan favorite. I really I do. absolutely think so. Awesome. Awesome stuff. And has some killer eyebrows. We'd all be lucky to grow <laughs> eyebrows like Rena's VK. True. And driving a race car. Yeah, that, no doubt. That, that helps too. The more important thing. But yeah, he's he's got the eyebrow game going on for sure. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. We'll be back next week and we'll have a race to at least preview and probably some other news as well. Thanks for joining us on another episode of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.